There's a story being reported that Elon Musk's space travel company, SpaceX, has fired five employees for circulating a letter urging the company's executives to condemn the CEO, Mr. Musk, the way he behaves in public, his uh, motor mouth, kind of unmitigated, uh, brash, and somewhat abrasive personality. So five employees circulated a letter urging other employees to, uh, urging people to, urging people, urging the, the executives to uh, shut down Musk, and they were fired for their trouble. So some, some uh, comments point out that in the United States, we have a system of employment called, generally the system is at-will employment, outside you know, certain union contexts, outside government work, in general, uh, but default employment in 49 out of 50 states is at will, that a company can terminate you for whatever reason it wants and no reason at all, except uh, according to f- federal law, some state laws, there are certain specific reasons they can't terminate you. They can't, they can't uh, punish you for, for your gender or for your religion and so on. But other than that, they, they just don't like you. They, uh, they, they want to give the job to the... To the boss's son, you know, the, the, there, there are no rules, there, 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 there's no need to have uh, just cause. The, the, the alternate system is having just cause. You have to have a good reason to fire somebody. See, Europe uh, maybe leans toward that a little more. But in the United States, we are the, we are the land of the free. We are the, the, the country of rugged individualism. We have a kind of uh, libertarian bent, laissez-faire bent. And the United States believes that in general... Uh, over the last century or two, the, the, our economic system has coalesced around a, a system of at-will employment that you can be terminated, again, absence of a specific contractual stipulation, a union agreement, or certain limited laws. You can terminate employees for no reason whatsoever. When I learned, when I learned Choshen Mishpat, when I studied the halacha of employment in Choshen Mishpat, I was very, very surprised, and I'm still somewhat surprised, to learn that the halacha is silent for, for most of the history of halacha until about a century ago. The halacha is a century, a century and a half ago. Halacha is remarkably silent on this fundamental question, is employment at will or not? When, a, when an employer hires an employee, wants to terminate him, is there a default assumption of, uh, that, 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 that he has to keep him on unless he has cause for firing him? or his employment at will, as it is in the United States, that he can just terminate employees without any reason whatsoever. Remarkably, Halacha has no clear statement on this question until about a century and a half ago, when the European acronym of Ashkenaz began to discuss it, and then going on into the 20th century, they began to, you think such a basic fundamental question, is employment at will or not, ought to have been discussed a while earlier, but for whatever reason, it is not really discussed until relatively recently. Now, the, we're going we're we're to study tonight several tshuvas on this question. Two from, uh, one, one by the Beish Lama, Rav Shlomo Drimmer, one of the great 19th century poskim, one by the Imre Yosher, the, well, I'm sorry, one by the Diver Malkiel, or Malkiel Tenenbaum, one of the great poskim of the turn of the 20th century, and one by Ramosha Feinstein, of course, the, the greatest postic in the United States in the mid, mid to late uh, 20th century. Now, post can disagree, given that there's no clear statement in, 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 the, in the early sources, in the Talmud, in the, in, in the early sources, that, that we, we are not surprised, we will not be surprised to see post can disagree. 
there are certain precedents in the there are certain precedents in the Gemara and the Rishonim, not about employment, but other contexts, about rental, about uh, other types of contractual arrangements, <coughs> in which uh, in which the Achronim try to bring make analogies to those cases. They 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 reject some of some of the analogies, but but that's why we have poskim on opposite sides of this question. Briefly, in summary, many poskim, probably most poskim, are of the view that default employment in a halacha is at will, and that an employee can be terminated as the SpaceX employees were reportedly terminated, even without any reason whatsoever. And it's a separate discussion whether the behavior in the case of SpaceX would be grounds for employment even even without uh, at-will employment, but even assuming they were fired simply at the whim of management, the, most poskim maintain that that is the prerogative of the employer to terminate employees without any reason whatsoever. Ramosha Feinstein is the most important dissenting view. Ramosha Feinstein maintains that by default employment is is permanent and an employee cannot be terminated as long as the job exists, as long as the position exists. The an employee cannot be terminated without without just cause. Now it's important to understand. All posts can agree that you can stipulate whatever you want in a contract. All posts can agree, similar to the way things would work in America, all posts can agree that you can stipulate that the commitment is permanent, barring uh, a good reason to, to undo it, and then you cannot fire the employee without just cause. All posts can agree that you can stipulate that the employment is that. Well, this whole discussion is the default assumption. In the absence of any, in the absence of any stipulation one way or another, how do we understand a default employment arrangement? Is it assumed to be indefinite as long as the, the position exists and as long as the person has need of an employee, he has, to, he has to keep on this employee as long as he's doing his job properly? Or by default do we say no? By default do we say the, that, the, that the halacha follows, the halacha is similar to the law in the United States generally, that employment is at will, and unless it was stipulated that he has an obligation to hire him indefinitely, he can terminate him whenever he wants. It is clear that that, that during a period of uh, d- during a during an agreed upon period, neither party has the right to just well the, the employer does not have the right to simply uh, simply terminate the, empl- the employment if, if he commits if he commits to a certain period of time, he does not have the right to break the contract like any other contract. The employee still might have the right to walk away because of a special anti-slavery rule of the Torah: "Yilibne Yisrael Avadim Avadayhem V'Avadim Lavadim." But certainly, if the, from the employer's perspective, if he commits to, to hiring an employee for a certain amount of time, he does not have the right to break his agreement. But again, the question is about the default. If nothing was stipulated, then what's the halacha? Now, all these chuvas also deal with cases where, as, you, as is usual in the real world, there is some kind of reason offered by the employer. The question is, is it a good reason? So these chuvas also deal with that question as well, that what kind of reasons are good reasons? Assuming he would have stipulated... That, he, that he's guaranteeing him employment for a certain period of time. What is a good reason for breaking that arrangement? So these chuvas deal with these questions as well. So these, chuv- these chuvas deal fundamentally with these two questions. First of all, what is the default employment? Is it at will or is it uh, permanent uh, unless there's just cause? And B, what is considered a, a, a just cause? What is considered a good reason? What, what is considered a good reason for firing? What standards of proof have to be met for misconduct by the employee? That, that's the second half of these chuvas, and we'll, we'll see discussions of both these questions. So again, the Beishlomo is one of the earliest chuvas on the topic that I'm aware of. 
His Shiloh was, it's a bit of an interesting case, his Shiloh was, there was a certain Rav, there was a certain Rav who hired a, an assistant, it was common in Europe that the official Rav would hire what they called a Muratzedek. A Muratzedek was like a, a Murahara for certain types of questions. Um, and and he, 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 would, he would assist with the workload, apparently, of the, of the main Rav, he, he would answer certain questions. So, and he would, he would pay for this assistant out of his own pocket, that, at least that was the arrangement here. That the, the main Rav hired this underling to, to help him with his rabbinic burden. And they made certain commitments to each other. The Maritzedek, the underling, gave a signed commitment that he would do certain things, that he would uh, meet certain conditions. Among the conditions were, he will, not do, he will not do anything on his own, that he will not, uh, he will not take any significant action without the permission and the consent of his boss. Again, you have to define what's called a significant action. It just says he won't do davar gadol okatam. He won't do anything neged ritzono v'gamblo rishuso against his will without his permission. It doesn't mean obviously that he uh, has to ask him you know, before he, before he makes breakfast whether he can make Cheerios or or, or eggs. But it, it means anything, uh, any I, I guess even davar katan if it's a if he's breaking the status quo, if he's doing anything in his professional capacity, then he has to get permission from the boss and. The, the boss agreed to pay him a certain amount of money, five rubles per week, apparently that was a substantial amount of money, on condition that the, that the underling, the, that the Marat Sedek fulfills his contractual arrangements that he agreed to in his document. Now, the rabbi, the boss, began here, be found out that his underling was behaving badly. He was not clear if he was outright corrupt, but he was behaving improperly as a Dayan, that he was acting out of greed. It's not, it's not defined exactly what he did, but he was apparently uh, not doing his job properly. Furthermore, he was plotting and maneuvering to create his own uh, rabbinate of some sort. He was trying to uh, establish himself as an independent uh, operator in this area, which, of course, would have infringed on the prerogatives of his boss. So he found him trying to undermine him and to... Uh, break away from him, and he's also not, not meeting other conditions, so he fired him. So he fired his assistant and hired somebody else. So the fired assistant took him to a dintera. They went to a dintera. There's a whole discussion in the, in the tshuva how this, this went through several stages. It went to different dayanim and the, 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 who keep, kept ruling in favor of the boss. The, the fired assistant wasn't happy with the verdicts. He kept appealing to other rabbanim. Eventually, the, the question came to the Beishlomo to either endorse or reject the conclusion of, the, of these earlier Dayanim, one of whom was his brother-in-law, I'm sorry, one of whom was his Mechutan, who had ruled in favor of the boss, and eventually the question came to the Beishlomo, and he was asked uh, whether he agreed that the boss was in the right, and the underling was, uh, was deservedly fired and was legitimately fired. Now, obviously, he keeps referring to he keeps referring to the Gvias Edus, he keeps referring to the Gimel Beis Ayin, he keeps referring to various formal testimony that was, that was taken by the earlier Bate Din, which he doesn't reproduce for us, so it's a little, bit hard to, uh, a little bit hard to know exactly what all the facts were in this case. But again, repeated, repeated Dayanim and arbitrators had ruled in favor of the boss, and eventually the case came to the Beishlomo to opine on this question. Again, the question itself was you know, somewhat involved, but the Beishlomo is going to address, among other things, the fundamental question, whether employment by default is at will or not. 
So the Beit Shlomo begins a few paragraphs in. The, the, the beginning is just a summary of the, how this case uh, evolved and how it eventually made its way to the Beit Shlomo. Eventually, the paragraph beginning, the Beit Shlomo makes a point, which many posts can make in their tshuvas, you're not allowed to respond uh, ex parte, you're not allowed to deal with a, with a with litigation, with a civil matter, uh, but, but by hearing only one side of the story, because it's not, it's not going to be an accurate representation of the story. Other reasons. So, really, he said, the person who brought the question to him was the boss, who had repeatedly won the Dintara, but the other person wasn't listening. He hoped that the Beishlomo's the weight of the Beishlomo's authority would finally persuade his opponent to give in. So the Beishlomo points out that really it's not so appropriate for me to address a question posed to me by you when you're one of the parties of the, of the Dintara. Amnam, he says, So the way you're reporting it to me, there already was a Dintara, proper Dintara, in front of a neutral party who heard both sides, and, and, and there's a tshuva that indicates that, a, a formal tshuva written by his mechutan, who uh, addressed the question apparently in, uh, through the proper procedure of hearing both sides. He says, then he says something amusing, he says, the, this tshuva of his mechutan, who had apparently wrote a lengthy tshuva explaining why he was siding with the boss, he says, I wanted to review the tshuva. However, he says, I'm not actually able to do that. Why, he says? Because it's very, very long, he says. It's a very long tshuva. And it's written, uh, it, it's written in a uh, problematic, uh, problematic ink, and it's not written clearly, he says. So the, the physical format of this tshuva is making, first of all, it's very long, and second, it's difficult to read, he says, due to the physical properties of the tshuva. <coughs> and I'm not feeling so well, he says, and I'm very, very busy. I'm very distracted, so I don't really have all the time in the world to, to go through this lengthy, difficult-to-read tshuva by Mechutin. Therefore, he says, I'm not going to read the whole thing cover to cover. However, I, I browsed through it, I glanced through it, I, I picked up a few lines here and there, he says, and Ladina, I agree with it, but here, this is going to be largely my own independent analysis with occasional reference to this very lengthy tshuva of his Mechutin. So the first point he deals with is, again, the, this fundamental question of whether employment is at will. He says, Chada, since there was nothing explicitly stipulated that their arrangement is lifetime, that it's a lifetime employment appointment, that it's a permanent uh, commitment, since that was not stipulated, he says that this seems to be a machlokis rishonim. What's machlokis rishonim? So all the achronim, a number of the achronim make reference to this machlokis. There is an apparent machlokis between the Rashba and the Rush, both opinions are brought by the Ramah as a Yesh Omrim, Yesh Omrim, and Yesh Omrim. If a person accepted a commitment to support somebody else, support his friend, he agreed to give somebody a stipend, uh, an allowance, and it was open-ended. He didn't specify the duration of the commitment. So the first opinion, the Rashba's opinion, says that it is indefinite. As long as the person's in need of this allowance, as long as he's alive, you have to you have to you have to you have to keep making this payment. If if you ha- if you make this binding commitment and you don't specify a duration, it is indefinite. That's the opinion of the Rashba. The Yeshom Rum the Ramah says, the opinion of the Rush, that if I say I'm going to give you a certain amount per annum per year, then one year is enough. If I don't specify how many years, then the minimum one year, one year and you're done. This is obviously a uh, these are obviously two very, very different perspectives on the matter. 
But these two opinions are, brought, are both brought by the Ramah in Shulchan Aruch. Some say that, that by default an, an, an open-ended obligation is indefinite and uh, must, be fulfilled, must be fulfilled indefinitely. The other opinion, the Russia's opinion, is no, that, that we can't hold you obligated for more than a year. If it was open-ended and didn't specify a duration, then there's no obligation for more than the minimum term of one year. So the Beishlomo begins by suggesting that that same achlokis, Rash ben Rush, would apply to employment. If, if I tell you I'll pay you uh, $50,000 a year, and I don't tell you how many years I'm hiring you for, so the Rashba would say it's indefinite every year, as long as he's around and is, and is able and interested in the employment, you have to keep offering him that $50,000 a year to do his job. And the Rush would say, no, one year, minimum of one year, that's all it is. So that is the initial, that is the initial assumption of the Beishlamo. He says, <coughs> now the, the Achronim, we've explained so far, this is a Machlokis, Rash ben the Rush. The Achronim offer various resolutions to reconcile the Rash with the Rush, to say it's not really a Machlokis. One of which is the opinion of the Tumim, that says that in general, a default commitment is, is, is not indefinite, but it's only in the case of the Rashba was talking about an Ani. Someone agreed to give an Ani a certain st- charity stipend per year. That, he says, or, or, or not per year, but a, a certain charity stipend, and he didn't specify a duration. That, since it's a neder, it's a neder for tzedakah, that's treated differently. When you're giving tzedakah, we assume it's indefinite, but when, you're, when, you, when you simply make a, an ordinary financial obligation where, where there's no element of tzedakah, that is more limited. Now this, this Marit Tzedek wasn't Ani, he says, so maybe we can argue, according to the Tumim, that it has the status of a neder for tzedakah, which is indefinite, according to the Tumim. He says, no, he says, uh, he says fundamentally that's not correct. He says, when you agree to give somebody money with, not in consideration of services rendered, just pure charity, that has a status of neder for tzedakah, and that, according to the Ormah Tumim, is treated differently. However, he says, this person is being paid for services rendered, for very specific uh, for very specific duties that he was that, that he was uh, assigned to do, that is no shaykes to tzedakah and ani and rush are the same, and therefore he says it, it depends on this machlokes rashba and the rush lahalacha he says there's no clear hakra, and therefore he says that lahalacha the employer is the muksuk the employee is considered the, the plaintiff who wants to compel the employer to keep paying him the money, and the, the, the employer says no it's machlokes we shown him I don't have to do it, Kimli. Therefore, the Beishlomo Paskins, that it's a machlokis, Rashba and the Rush, but the halacha, the halacha is going to follow as long as the employer is muksuk, which he typically is, then the employer is not obligated to, to uh, retain him indefinitely. The employer has the right to walk away. Now, the Beishlomo then goes on and says, the minhag today, he says, it is a widespread minhag. When it comes to any public position, minuyim shel hakahal, whatever the community the Tzibur hires somebody, appoints somebody to a position, a position of Rav or Maritzedek, which is the assistant rabbi type position, or Shochet Abodek, a communal Shochet. Again, the, the Shochet we have today are, are private operations, but it used to be the Shochet was employed by the community. Oshliach Tzibur. So even though there is a halacha, there is a minhag, he says, that whenever their employment is not at will, there the, the community has a duty to retain him indefinitely unless they specify it otherwise. Says the Beishlomo, that is only a minhag, he says. That's not sure as a din, that's a minhag. And if it's a minhag, he says that we, we limit the minhag. The minhag only applies to a community. 
that even even though this person is acting as a, as an assistant rabbi, so to speak, and, and and that and that position is working on behalf of the community, he says, but uh, but the nature of his employment, he was not hired by the community. He was hired privately by the senior rabbi to help him with his workload. So that is that has the status of a private employment arrangement. That's not considered a public position where where, where the tzibur has a special minhag that they don't terminate without cause. Even if it would be a suffix, he says, we would go back to the Ikra din. It's not even a suffix, he says. It's not even, it's not even a suffix. The, the, again, the rabbi's muksik, he says, and it's not a suffix. It's well known, he says, that when rabbis hire these assistants and they pay them out of their own pocket, they can, it's, it's purely at will, it's a clear minhag, they can terminate them whenever they want, they can exchange them, he says. And therefore, he says, again, the employment in general is at will, employment of assistant rabbis by the senior rabbis is at will, Therefore, he can terminate him without cause at all. So even, even before we get to all these claims that he didn't do his job properly, that he was undermining him and so on and breaking the terms of his employment, even before we get to any of that, it doesn't even matter, he says, the Ikra din is employment unless specified otherwise is at will, and therefore he can be terminated without any reason whatsoever. Furthermore, he goes on and he says that he, he was acting improperly. He was acting uh, the, according to the Aegis that was uh, the, the, according to the Aegis that was heard, according to the testimony that was given. He actually was behaving improperly. Again, we don't have all the details. We don't know exactly what he was doing. There was something wrong with his behavior as a Dayan. Bishlomo adds a very interesting point. Even if the Aegis is not strong enough to actually render him puzzle to be a Dayan, even if we don't have uh, an absolute smoking gun, we don't have something that would. Uh, that would actually render him puzzle, that would disqualify him from serving in the future, he says, nevertheless, it's still a firing offense because the standards for employment are lower. When I hire somebody and, and, and hire him in a certain capacity, even if I know, and then I find problems with him, even if those problems are not absolute deal breakers, they're not things that would render him utterly disqualified from his position, it doesn't matter, he says. It's an umdana that I die to dahi when somebody hires somebody, there's an assumption he wants somebody who is good at what he does, not someone who is barely qualified, someone who's technically qualified, even though he's problematic. So someone who behaves in this way, it, 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 it's clear, it, it's an umdana, that nobody would hire him if he has these, uh, this problematic character, this bad, this bad behavior, he says, even if the bad behavior doesn't rise to the level of rendering him actually puzzle. And therefore, even if you would need cause to fire, he says, this would qualify as cause. Because, the, because since he's behaving badly in a way that people typically wouldn't want to hire people who act like this, that itself is enough of a reason to fire the, that itself is enough of a reason to fire the, to fire the system. And Bishlomo argues on various other grounds as well. That he, he lists various things he didn't do that he was supposed to do, all of which are grounds for, for firing, he says. And therefore, that is the conclusion of the Bishlomo he can fail free to fire him, first of all, because since fundamentally, since there was no term specified to the employment, this is not clear in the halacha, it's a machlokis rishonim, it's machlokis, two opinions in the Ramah, there's no clear hachra, and therefore the halacha, he says, even though tzedakah might be different, this is not tzedakah, this is business, he says, even if the employee is poor, it's business, and when it comes to, when it comes to employment business, when it comes to an employment contract, unless specified otherwise, he can be terminated at will, Moreover, he says, there are various things he did, established that he did, that rise to the level of just cause. And he, again, it'd be, it would be nice if we knew exactly what they were, but there were various things he felt that did rise to the level of just cause, even if they aren't things that would render him pasal al-pishul from doing his job. 
Nevertheless, it's a, there's a strong assumption, <coughs> there's a strong and solid assumption that an employer wouldn't want to hire an employee who fell short of doing his job properly in these ways, and therefore he, he is perfectly entitled to terminate the employee. That's the tshuva of the Beishlam. Turning now to a tshuva of the Divir Malkiel. So Divir Malkiel is a little bit later. He was uh, beginning of the 20th century. He talks about someone was in the liquor business, apparently. And he hired, so the, the boss, again, hires ASEC. He calls it a Pripanatia. Not sure what it is, but from the context of the tshuva, the implication is that they're dealing with liquor, as the Jews often did in Poland and Eastern Europe. And he hired this employee at a, for a weekly wage. And now the, the owner, the boss suspects his worker, suspects his employee of Gneva, of stealing money from the business. So, I assume he means from the business. He's stealing money. He wants to fire him. So, what's the question again? So, the, the Divinal Kiel's correspondent raised two questions. He says, first of all, is default employment with an unspecified term, is that indefinite and you have to keep him on indefinitely or is that at will, you can terminate him whenever you want without cause. Furthermore, he says, <coughs> he has cause. He suspects him of Gneva. Then the question is, okay, but even though, presumably, if someone steals, that's a good reason for termination, what kind of proof do you have to have? If you suspect him, do you have to have proof? Do you have to at least, uh, do you have to at least provide evidence of Reglaim Ladov, or at least provide concrete basis for suspicion? So the, so the different Malkiel actually wrote several chuvas on this case, three chuvas on this case. The first two we're going to cover tonight. The third one involves other aspects of the case, which are not our topic tonight. Of these three chuvas, the first chuva deals with the basic question of whether employment is at will or not. The second chuva deals with the question of is a suspicion of of theft is that grounds for is that grounds for firing? And the third chuva deals with other aspects of the case. So in the first chuva. He says as follows. He says, Salko, if you want to know about firing him regarding that question, I think you can, he says. Why? Because employment is at will. Since he didn't specify that he is hiring him for the duration of his business, for the duration of his involvement in this, uh, in this industry, he says, there was no such stipulation made. So by default, employment is at will. He says, this is Maisim B'chal Yom. We mentioned the halacha is kind of silent on this, but he says he doesn't have a solid precedent, but he, uh, you know, he has a number of precedents. He spends the whole tshuva providing various precedents. He doesn't have an exact precedent, but he says it's Maisim B'chal Yom. It's Maisim B'chal Yom that employment is considered at will, and employees are terminated even without any substantial grounds for termination. So his first precedent is he brings, when it comes to the laws of rentals, rentals of, of homes, so the halacha is, if a landlord wants to evict a tenant, so as we've discussed in the past, halacha has very limited protection, very limited uh, protections for tenants. It's pretty, la- pretty much laissez-faire. The, the landlord has the right to terminate his rental arrangement whenever he wants. Now, obviously, if they have a contract, if they have a lease, then, then both sides are committed to the lease. But if there's no lease, if it's month to month, then either party can walk away whenever he wants. The one, the one rule Chazal instituted was, which he's going to bring presently, is that there is such a thing as a notice period. There is such a thing as a Zman Hoda, 
that a certain amount of notice it has to be given. It depends on the context, but it's as little as 30 days sometimes. Sometimes it could be as much as three years, <coughs> depending on the nature of the, of, the, of the real estate market in question, commercial real estate, whether it's, uh, whether it's residential real estate, whether it's uh, in a big city, or depending on the rental market, and so on. But you have to give a certain amount of notice. So, but beyond that, you can terminate whenever you want. Assuming this, the, the notice requirement is met, you can terminate. There's no obligation, unlike in many jurisdictions in the United States, many big cities that have all kinds of rent control rules that prevent a landlord from evicting a tenant as long as he's paying the rent, or maybe sometimes even if he's not, but certainly if he's paying his rent, you can't evict him. You can't just say, I want somebody else. So in halacha, there's no such thing. The, 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 only, the only halacha is you have to give a certain amount of notice, he says, but there is no general rule that you can't evict. That's a different malkiel. So we see that a default contract is not la'olam. When, when two people enter into an arrangement, there's no assumption that the arrangement is indefinite. It's, it, it's only as long as they want. Either party can walk away as long as you give sufficient notice. We don't say that by default it's, uh, they're bound to each other indefinitely. It doesn't work like that. So he says the same thing applies to employment. Just as when it comes to rentals of homes, rentals of property, it's not indefinite. If, if it wasn't specified indefinite, it's not indefinite. So here, too, when it comes to employment, if they didn't specify that it should be indefinite, it's at will, either party can walk away. What about the notice requirement? We, we said that when it comes to real estate, there is a notice requirement. Says a different Malkiel. That is not Meikir Adin. That's a Takana of Chazal. So people shouldn't be uh, thrown out on the streets. Chazal considers that untenable. Here we don't find such a Takana when it comes to employment. You can argue Chazal didn't want people to be out of a job and have a family to support and mouths to feed. But he says, we don't find such takana. We can't just arbitrarily extend Chazal's takanas uh, willy-nilly. We don't find Chazal made a takana to protect employees. Therefore, there is no requirement of notice whatsoever. And, uh, and uh, the, the employer can end their arrangement whenever he wants. Now, the different Malkiel notes in, the cant- in, the, in his explanation, he, he compares it to a case of... Uh, he compares it to a case of the of of if you rent a house for a month at a time or for a week at a time, then after the month is over, you you can you can end the arrangement, and if and if you hire and if you and if, you, if the arrangement is a weekly arrangement, then after the end of the week, the, anyone can end the arrangement after the week. So and that's what some posts can suggest as well. The Chazanish talks about this. Do we say the same thing about employment? If you paid him an annual salary, does that mean he's committed to him for at least a year, for a year at a time? Or do we just say, no, the annual salary is just a way of establishing the salary, but each day is a separate thing. You can fire him tomorrow if he wants. Or does he have to wait to the end of the year? So the the Jimal Kiel is not entirely clear about this. The Chazanish discusses this question. But the point is, it is certainly not La'olam, the Jimal Kiel says, like the Beishlomo, it's not indefinite, and he can fire him uh, at will, even without sufficient cause. What about the Machlokas Rashba and the Rush? He brings the same Machlokas, the two opinions in the Ramah, about someone who commits himself to support somebody else, to give, to give somebody else an allowance, a stipend. There we find there are two opinions as to whether that is by default indefinite or whether it can be ended after one year's payment. So he brings, again, he brings various achronim, how they understood the, the two opinions, but he says, but fundamentally he says, even according to the achronim who understand, like the Ramah, that it's Machlokis, Rash Ben the Rush, he says, why does the Rashba say over there that it's La'olam, that, that if you agree to support somebody, you have to support him indefinitely? Because there he says there is, 
They didn't specify any term. He said, "I'm going to support you. I'm going to, I'm going to support you at uh, with, with I'm going to support you with, with a certain allowance. I'm going to support you with a certain allowance." Uh, so he didn't, he didn't give any term. He says, "So so to say that uh, to, to say that it means one hour, I'll give you an allowance for an hour. That that's ridiculous because that's not uh, that, that that that's not what people mean when they agree to support somebody." Saying I'm going to be zanoscha, I'm going to support you, means a substantial amount of time, and there is no there is no plausible substantial period. There was no mention of a year necessarily or or anything like that. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to. You could say you could say that if I agree to pay you a certain amount per year, then a year would be the period. But he says that, but he says that there there is no natural period, so we say it's indefinitely. But here he says he says when it comes to our case, he says that. That, that, that he, when, he, when he pays him weekly, he says, when I'm paying you at a certain rate a week, that each week is a separate, uh, separate term. Each week, is a, each pay period is a separate or separate arrangement, and either one of us has the right to walk away at the end of the week. And therefore, again, he says, Beishlomo said it was machlokis, but the employer is muksuk. Diver Malkiel says that the, it's not even, that's not even a machlokis, he says. That machlokis is not relevant to us. Here, everyone agrees that, that if you have a pay period, then you're not bound... He, he implies you would be bound to the end of the pay period, what, the end of the year, the end of the month, the end of the week, whatever it is, he says. But the, beyond that, you're not bound. Employment is at will, and you're not bound, in, you're not bound indefinitely. That case of Lazun is, is different, he says, because of the structure of the case, because there's no other plausible interpretation according to the, according to the Rashba. But here he says, where it's very plausible to say that we only commit ourselves one pay period at a time, that's all it is. We do not interpret it as being an indefinite, unbounded obligation. And therefore, he says, again, it's at will, and he can, and he can terminate whenever he wants. He goes on, he brings further proofs to this, and that's his maskana. He says that here you don't need cause at all, that, uh, one, that, that beyond, any, any one, uh, any, beyond any particular pay period, either party can walk away, and there's no fur- they have no further commitment to each other. So like the Beishlamo, he concludes also, that employment is at will, at least beyond, uh, beyond any particular pay period. In the second tshuva, of a small tshuva, a brief tshuva, he says, let's say it would be during a, let's say it would be during a, peri- a period. Let, let's say he, he commits himself for a year, and it's during that year. So if he steals, certainly you can fire him. <coughs> the question is, do you, do you have to prove that, he, that, that there's grounds for suspicion? So he says, the implication is not implication is, he says, as long as you claim in good faith that you suspect him of stealing, you do not have to prove anything to the basin. This is a big chiddush. Other achronim say that you do have to, other achronim say you do have to, you do have to convince the basin, show the basin that there's grounds for suspecting him. Divin Malkiel says, no, it's a little hard to understand why would the employer have this power to just allege that he suspects him and wants to fire him. It's a little hard to understand, but that's what he says. You don't have to prove it. As long as you claim in good faith, that you suspect him, that you, you have the right to terminate him, even if you have no proof that he's actually uh, a suspicious character. Now, he says, you do have to, you can't just say you suspect him because you have a hunch. He says, you do have to allege that you've seen concrete things that based in agrees are grounds for suspecting him. You don't have to prove those things. You don't have to, you don't have, to have cameras or witnesses to them. You do have to at least allege uh, some concrete things which are basis for suspicion, and Basin has to judge whether those are real grounds or not. But even if you don't prove those things, you just say, I saw him, uh, I saw him uh, you know, 
with the, with the, in, in a room that says no access, you know, to uh, to employees. I saw him going through the books that he has not supposed to be looking at and p- poking his hands in the cash drawers. So it, 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 even though you can't prove he did those things, he says, I never did that. If you allege that he did those things, and that's why you suspect him of stealing, and Basin says, well, if he really did that, we agree, that would be a good reason to suspect him. That's sufficient grounds for terminating him, even though you can't prove those things. A tremendous chiddush. Other acharim don't seem to agree. But, but, but that's, how, that's how it works, he says. You have to either have seen things that, uh, that Basin agrees are grounds for suspicion. He points out that in general there's a rule Anytime you make a claim in Basin, even, even, even without this case, anytime you make any claim in Basin, Basin asks you, please explain. If you say, if Reuven comes to Basin and says, Shimon owes me money. So Basin doesn't just say, okay, that's your claim. Shimon, how do you plead? Basin says, Reuven, explain. Why do you think he owes you money? Because maybe you think he owes you money for a reason that's not even valid. So tell us why you think he owes you money. Don't just say he owes you money. Tell him, because I lent him money, because he broke my window yesterday, because his ox scored my ox. Basin always asks for an explanation of why you think he owes you money. And here, certainly, he says, Basin, if you say you suspect him, Basin says, tell us why. Maybe we, maybe we can convince you that there's an innocent explanation for what you saw. So don't just say you suspect him. Tell us what happened. And then if we, if we Basin, agree that if that's true, then he's indeed suspicious, then Basin, lets you, then Basin would let you fire him, even if you can't prove that he behaved in a suspicious manner, which, again, is a tremendous chiddush. Other Akram disagree. But that is what the, the different Malkiel holds. Then he goes on, and he says, and this is for my, my father, who's always interested in the halachic treatments of coal, of rumors that are not substantiated. So the different Malkiel goes on, and he says, let's say there's a coal that he's chashed al gneva. Tongues are wagging, people are gossiping, so-and-so steals. You yourself don't even, don't even allege that you saw anything uh, suspicious about him. But you, you say, I'm hearing rumors that, uh, that he's corrupt. Says it says the different Malkiel, that is also grounds for firing the employee. Even though he says, in general, a coal may not be enough to, uh, to have any halachic basis in, the, in this type of context, he says, it doesn't matter. He says, because again, just like we saw on the Beit Shlomo, even if the, the malfeasance that we dig up isn't grounds for disqualifying him, for making him ineligible for a rub, but it doesn't matter, with an umzina, you wouldn't hire him as a rav if, if he's a person who behaves this way. So here also, the Jivim Akhil says something similar. It's, there is no stronger umdana that I would not want to hire somebody about whom rumors swirl that he's corrupt. I don't want, I, nobody wants to hire employees who, who, have, who have reputations for corruption, even if it's unsubstantiated and hasn't been proven. <coughs> Therefore he says that that if there are rumors that he's corrupt, that itself is grounds for termination, even if the rumors cannot be substantiated. Because that's the general assumption. People don't want to hire employees about whom corruption is alleged. Now, if the rumor had already existed before you hired him, he says, then we say, caveat emptor, you hired him, the, the, despite the rumor, and you knew about it, and, and, and you emochel it. Maybe not, he says. he says. He says, you can argue that we don't say that, I'm not sure why. But maybe that, that's an interesting question. If the rumor already existed before he hired him, he says, we can debate whether, whether he has the right to fire him. However, he says that's not the case here. The case here was that after he hired him, he started hearing rumors of his, uh, of his, of his being corrupt. That, he says, is pushed, is, would, would be grounds for firing him. So whether it is the employer himself who alleges that he saw behavior that Basin agrees would be grounds for suspicion, or whether, it's, whether he wants to fire him based on rumors that he's corrupt, 
either of these would be good cause for firing, even in a case where employment was not at will, even in a case where he's committed, he has a contract for a certain amount of time. But the first tshuva, he said, like the Beishlamo, employment by default is at will, and therefore even if there are no grounds for, for firing, no just cause, you can fire him anyway, because that's the way employment works in halacha by default. You don't need any cause, employment is at will, as it is in modern America. The great holdout, the great uh, dissenting view here is Ramosha Feinstein. Ramosha has a long tshuva, a well-known tshuva, where he insists that employment is not at will. He, he insists, again, he agrees you can stipulate that employment is at will, but by default he says employment is not at will. The, the way he sets up the shaila, a factory says it needs workers, or a person needs an assistant, an ozer or a mesharis in your shop, in your house, and you hire somebody, so is that at will, or is that, uh, can you only fire for just cause? So he says, L'chor is telling on the machlokas, Rashba and the Rush, he brings the same machlokas about somebody who may, again, there's no direct precedent on this in the early poskim, so the, the closest precedent is this machlokas, two opinions in the Ramah, the Rashba and the Rush, someone who agrees to give somebody an allowance, is he bound by that commitment forever, for indefinitely, or is it only for uh, one year? Says Ramosha, it's not actually telling on that machlokas, Unlike the different Mokil, who said that here everyone agrees it is at will, Ramosha says just the opposite. Here everyone agrees that it's not at will. Ramosha says, uh, a very plausible sounding Svara, he says, when you agree without any type of uh, employment agreement to give somebody an allowance for whatever reason you have, then okay, it's out of the blue you agree, not out of the blue, you have some reason for it, but you just have a one-sided agreement to support somebody, then it's unclear how long you meet. But in a case where you hire him for a job, his, the, the agreement to pay him is linked to his performing a job, to his carrying out a job. Then, he says, there's a strong assumption, a strong default assumption that the agreement is for as long as the job exists, for as long as he's capable of doing the job and the job exists, that you need someone to do the job. Therefore, Moshe says, even the rush would agree that when it comes to employment, it is indefinite and you have to, care, and you have to, and you have to keep him on indefinitely as long as the position still exists. Ramosha has a long tshuva where he discusses all kinds of arguments about this, back and forth, and he says, the, he brings different, 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 different svaras back and forth, and he, that's what he comes out. Ramosha comes out that the, going out for several pages, Ramosha comes out that the ikra din is that the, when you hire somebody, you don't stipulate otherwise, the employment is indefinite, and you cannot, you, can, you cannot, you cannot fire him at will. Ramosha goes on toward the end of the tshuva. He says that that's even when there's no minog. When there's no clear minog, we have to rely on some kind of default assumption. So I've just spent several pages, Ramosha says, explaining that employment is not at will. In this case, he says, when there is a minog, he says, even a minog in a specific industry, like in a factory, or even a minog of you personally, he says, everyone knows that you don't fire employees, that you keep them on indefinitely. Any type of minog, he says, then the whole tshuva is not relevant. Then it's posh, he says, you follow the minog, he says. Doesn't matter if it's a minog that was based on the Chachmi Ha'er. Sometimes we give more power to a minog that was established by Chachamim, or whether it's a grassroots minog that was established by business people. Even if it's just, uh, even if it wasn't a minog that was deliberately established, it was just a minog of Mehechatesi. That uh, why should I fire him? He's doing his job. So it, it just came out that I don't fire people, not because I have a shita about it, just because why not? He's doing his job well. That also creates a minog. He says, and he says. Uh, his other types of minhagim that create penalties and so on, those types of minhagim, which are more powerful than simple stipulations, 
There you have to have chacham and so on. But these minhagim are just uh, how to interpret default arrangements. We don't need any special power of minhag. And it's just a question of interpreting an ambiguous language. And therefore, a second argument in his particular case, he says, he explains that Uvda, there was a specific case, much of the tshuva is written in general, just in the, as a general exploration of the halacha, he says, but in, he says in a particular case of a worker in a, in a, in a shlachtes, in a base of mitbachayim. And we know they don't fire people over there, he says, without a good reason. So he says that, 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 that that's, uh, he says, a, a based and agreed, he along with a based and agreed, that that's an automatic default stipulation, that it's indefinite, and they can't fire him without good cause. They have to give him, uh, they, have, they have to keep him in his position unless they can, they can prove, be a dia brura, that he's a balmachlokes and he disrupts the work, he says, then they can fire him, because that's a good tainah, because he's not, you know, he's not fit for the job, because he, he creates problems, he says. But, uh, but he's not Neman, he says, he's not Neman on his own, because the, the, even though you'd think the employer is the muksik, he says, since, it's, since there's a contract, an implicit contract, to keep him on indefinitely, then he's not considered the muksik, then the, the employee is the muksik in his job, you can't fire him without proof, not like the different Malkiel who says you can just allege it, he says that, uh, that, that, that on, on the contrary, it's the, it's, the, it's the employee who's considered the muksik, and you have to prove it, if you claim he's not, he's not capable of doing the job, you have to prove it, and, uh, and the burden of proof is on you. That gives us, I guess, an inkling to what the different Malkiel held. The different Malkiel may have held that, it's the, that the burden of proof is not on the employer because he may have held that the, he's the muksuk. The employee wants payment, just to be so on the Beishlamo. The employee is demanding payment. He says, I don't have to, because I don't have to pay you, because you're a suspect of, of thieving, of stealing. So I'm the muksuk. Ramosha said, no, he's not the muksuk. Since, the, since you have a contract to give him his job, He's the muksuk, and the burden of proof is on you if you claim he's not fit for the job. Which, common sense, is a kind of an appealing proposition. That, well, it, 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 seems to, it seems to rankle a little bit to give the employer so much power that he can just terminate the employee by alleging cause without proving it. But that's what the different Malkiel says. But Ramosha says, no, the burden of proof, even in the case of default, which Ramosha holds default, is also considered indefinite, and you need proof. And certainly when there's a minug. And you need proof, and the burden of proof, he says, is on the employer, not the employee. Finally, Ramosha says, we have one further reason why you can't fire him. He compares it to the, the strara, to the communal positions. To ca- different cases where someone has a, a communal position, there's, there's a separate thing that you can't fire without cause. This person who has ashkacha and kashras, he says, that part of his work is, uh, is involves, is involved, involves kashras. That's considered a, a minu shal kahal. And, and uh, that's considered a srara, and he certainly can't fire him, he says. And uh, he says, srara, Ramosha talks about srara in other contexts as well, women being shul presidents, women being mashkichim and kashras, but he says, srara means anytime you have power over somebody else to deny him the option to do what he wants, that's considered srara. He has to listen to you. Kashras is srara. So a of srara, it's similar to the, the Beishlamos thing about minu shal kahal. He talks about minu shal srara. So there also there's a rule that you don't fire, he says. But he says, uh, beyond that, the, the, the other reasons are sufficient, he says. Even if it's regular DNA as he says, you have, the, you, have, you have the obligation to keep to keep a worker on indefinitely unless stipulated otherwise, certainly when there's a minhag. And therefore, that's Ramosha's position, contrary to that of many other acronym who said that employment is at will. Like in America, Ramosha said, no, employment is not at will. Employment is by default, is, is, is assumed to be indefinite, certainly when there's a minhag, and you cannot fire without good cause, and the burden of proving good cause 
is on the employer, not the employee.